Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. Not for an NFL week anymore, for NFL wildcard weekend and looking ahead to divisional round. It is I, Jackson Roberts. It is he, Kale Clinton. we got a lot of ball to talk, Kale. Catching up with you all on this Wednesday. Thank you for making your schedules work. We are going to talk some serious, serious playoff football today. Two rounds in one. Review the last round. Briefly preview the next one and just dive on in because we are knee-deep in the playoffs, and it feels phenomenal. Kale, reflections on first round of playoff football. Jackson, it was was kind of a dud. Like, it's kind of a dud weekend. Like, five blowouts and the most pride-driven, like, in-the-moment, gotta-feel-good game you've ever had that even in that moment felt like a bit of a like a like, you know, as maybe maybe it's just because there was no scoring in the second half of that game. Like in like in totality, all the games are kind of like eh. Lions is Lions Rams is sick. I'm not going to poo poo that too much, but I would hope you would not. And we, I mean, that game's third in our rundown, but I can't wait to get to it because uh, boy was it exciting. Uh, we'll go through the games in reverse order. I mean. A lot's happened in the two days since the playoffs have ended. Awesome. And we can we can we can discuss you know any number of things from Bill Belichick interviewing with the Falcons, uh, Jason Kelsey maybe retiring. I still think he is retiring, but he officially said he has not made that decision yet today. Uh, we are and- we are so far removed that we have not touched on the Belichick like dismissal. That's true. We, we had not. We are a we are a long way into the cycle at this point. It's true. We we recorded the day before uh, that that news was announced that he wouldn't return, and now the Patriots have a new head coach. Guess what? We're both Patriots fans. Uh, we could we could dissect that from any number of angles, uh, and I mean, not to like blow up the pod outline here, Kale, but you know, just brief 15, 30 second reflection on Gerard Mayo, Patriots' new head coach. I'm pumped. Uh, press conference was good. Dude, Kraft sounds old. Does. Kraft sounds really old. Uh, that was tough. Uh, it was very refreshing to listen to uh, Mayo kind of talk. I like that he kind of recognizes that he's not Belichick in a good way. I like that he's directly addressing, uh, in a positive way, changing the culture, uh, like lightening the mood a bit. Uh, he's talking about attacking super important position, like a very important position, best available in the draft, which either means they're, <laughs> I see this is no in between, uh, going up to get a quarterback or taking Marvin Harrison. <laughs> I'm coming around to them just taking MHJ. And I'm I was there, I was there, yeah. but then I'm like, who's throwing to him versus could you just go get? Evans or even Michael Pittman in free agency. So I, I've swung back and forth on the pendulum about that about 19 different times. And I'm not even sure where the pendulum's at right now. I keep doing, I threw this in our group. I, and we got to like, we got to bridge uh, Patriots talk. Cause there is a lot more <laughs> news to get into. Yeah, I, I keep getting into uh, mocks. 
uh, on PFF and playing chicken to see how long it takes me to get a, a good quarterback uh, and, like, also rebuild the Patriots roster. And the thing that I keep doing is going <laughs> Marvin Harrison three, getting, like, a Keon Coleman, a Mecca Ibuka, getting Jalen McMillan to fall all the way to the third. So I'm getting three receivers off rip. And then, like, fourth round going uh, Jalen Milrow. Or like, just, am I mistaken, or are both Ibuka and Milrow both going back to college next year? Is Milrow going back? Milrow Ibuka? definitely is. I was, I thought I heard Ibuka was, but maybe he's not. One of the Ohio State receivers is. I'm just, they haven't put it in the PFF thing yet. <laughs> as long as they let me keep drafting him, I'm drafting him. He will, he will come back. I just looked it up. Uh, that makes me sad. Uh, yeah, well, he's gonna be top. Like that's good money for him, actually. Easy good money. Uh, Caleb Williams declared. That was other news this week. Harbaugh interviewing with the Chargers. Yada, yada, yada. And Falcons. Lots and Falcons. of teams interviewing with the Falcons. Which, by the way, have you ever seen a team like post a tweet about, hey, we just interviewed this head coach for the picture? Like, I'm sure it's happened before, but that was weird to me. They've been taught. They've done. I, I think it's a new thing where teams, I don't know if it's part of Rooney Rule to like uh, go over full transparency or what it is, but teams are now doing more like we have completed interview with XYZ. We have requested to interview ABC. The check graphic is really funny. Very. I think the Chargers also, or no, uh, I forget if it was the Chargers or if the Falcons interviewed someone from the Chargers, uh, but they post, someone posted a graphic for a GM interview and it was just a guy in a suit on the field. Like, it was just, like, pictured. What else is he going to be? Like, in the booth? Like, in the in the lab making decisions? I don't know. You got to do something here. Many good tweets to come, I'm sure, uh, from all these processes. But seeing as we have no other head coaching hires to discuss at this point, uh, I suppose we could simply talk about the playoff football that went down. Uh, and we'll do that in reverse chronological order. And we'll do it by beginning with, uh, I don't know, I guess an autopsy on what the heck happened to the 2023 Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, 10 and 1. None of the DVOA or EPA per play metrics said they were that good, but 10 and 1, they then lose six out of seven. Their season's over. They get embarrassed in Tampa by a 9 and 8 division champ, 32 to 9. Uh, and Jason Kelsey appears to be retiring, and they have a bunch of other either aging or departing or just outright bad veteran players on that team uh, whose futures are completely uncertain. So I'll let you lead off here, but not only what went wrong, but what's up next for these Philadelphia Eagles. It's pretty dire. Uh, you knew it was bad. And AJ Brown was putting together uh, emergency escape room, motivational team meetings. Uh, I think my assessment's been the cupboard kind of got run to bear and the Eagles never really replenished. Uh, running with uh, Brian Johnson and Sean Desai, I don't think it was a total mistake, uh, but running with first-time play callers at both positions and a, a, like a thin group offensively that got even thinner when – one, A.J. Brown went down, but two, the Eagles just stopped, like, stopped 
running inexplicably toward the end of the year. Uh, rushing attempts way down uh, during that uh, losing stretch, and I'm not really sure why. Uh, and on the defensive side, just a really young group. I'd kind of assessed in the preseason, uh, oh, this team had 8,000 snaps worth of players and uh, hit free agency and guys like Javon Hargrave and Kazir White and uh, the other linebackers escaping me is TJ Edwards. Uh, I, I, the other guy that went to the Bears for huge money, or am I thinking Charles Edmonds? Uh, they lost two linebackers. Don't care. Uh, and CJ Gardner Johnson also walked. Uh, they just had a ton of guys hit free agency. And in the grand scheme of like looking at it, oh, you've got guys you drafted already coming in, Nicobe Dean. Uh, you've got guys in development that are kind of ready to just slide up, and they weren't. Uh, losing major uh <laughs> major players is tough. Uh, and then just by the end of the season, they looked pretty broken. Like, they were still a talented team, but it was like, not to jump ahead, it's the same thing with the Cowboys where it's just like, when you've got the stink on you, it's bad. Like, the Cowboys lost that game two drives in. The Eagles, like, were DOA the second they got to the playoffs just because they had dropped so many tough games in a row. The second you lose to the Giants, your season's over. Like, I the agree. season that Week 18 game rolls around, it's bad. And if they weren't dead already, the the first couple drives when they put together like a eleven play highlight reel of missed tackles on Bucks ball carriers, yeah, they that, can't tackle. That was the end too. They can't tackle at all. Yeah, it's bad. The tweets uh, I saw about James Bradbury, like cover the guy, more. cover the guy, and stick him on the sideline. Like people were going in, and for good reason. Uh, the other thing about the Eagles' analysis I saw. Uh, someone on on some ringer platform i can't remember which one so apologies there but uh one of the analysis about i mean philly's defense is all these georgia guys they come in and they're not used to playing like 60 70 snaps in a game and all of a sudden like you get to like the second third you know quarter of the season they start to kind of wear down a little bit so your jalen carters your jordan davises your deans like all these guys just kind of I mean, I'm really interested to see how they develop in the future because I don't think this will necessarily always be the case, but they sort of just wore down as the season went on. And when your young legs are wearing down, it's not a good sign when your older legs are uh, you know, being left to pick up the slack. Uh, so, yeah, obviously the defense went way downhill for them as the entire season went along, and I think the offense lost a lot of its luster too. And now, I mean, is Sirianni coming back? I don't necessarily think he deserves to be gone, but – whether or not he deserves it and whether or not he's coming back are two different things. The elder statesmen of the Eagles, Fletcher Cox and Jason Kelsey, stepping up to uh, speak highly of Sirianni uh, does a lot for me. Uh, it is very important to me that they did that. Uh, and I think that will bode well for uh, the Eagles going forward. That being said, like, there are some obvious deficits. If Jason Kelsey is retiring, he kind of said today where he was like, you can't make that decision in the moment and didn't 100% refute reports, uh, but was very nebulous on the New Heights podcast. Uh, but 
if he is retiring, you got a huge hole to replace at center. He was fourth among all offensive linemen in blown block rate at 1.1%, minimum 500 snaps. And you also have him running the hardest play on an individual lineman ever in the touch push. Uh, like, that's a big hole to fill. You basically can't run the touch push anymore if you can't address center. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe nobody will be able to run it next year. No, anyway. Who knows? Yeah. But it's true. Uh, I don't think they're going to get rid of it. I think I think they're collapsed at the end of the year. And uh, honestly, like early early game ball laces to Vita Vea. Uh, I gave one to I gave one to Jack Del Rio for stopping it in uh, Washington. Vita Vea gets one for stopping one single handedly, even if he's going to the head there. Not to mention he did it earlier this season too. I think it was stopped three he's times right. all year, and two of them were Vita Vea. So Hell not yeah. bad. Uh, but yeah, Eagles going forward for doing autopsy, uh, just have a, a good amount of learning to do on the defensive end and a good amount of holes to fill and like depth to build up because running backs didn't look as effective. The, uh, you can't go too deep at receiver. Like if AJ Brown goes down or Devonta Smith goes down, your three can't be Olamide as a chaos. And I'm like, I'm a guy who's like the Zacchaeuses and the Demir birds, of the world. Demir Bird just made like the Texans practice squad because they're thin. Hell yeah. But I'm the guy who's like, it, my wide receiver rant from, uh, you know, years gone by at this point uh, is like, you need to be deep. You need to be three, four deep at receiver. You need to be versatile. You need to have guys who have different strengths, can do different route trees, can like, you need as holistic a group as possible. And you need guys that can only meet as a case. You can't rely on guys like an old Amita Zacchaeus. You can't, like, in crunch time, if you've got to go in 11 personnel, he can't be your three. You've got to have someone else there. I agree. Uh, they're, the way they invest resources this offseason is going to be very interesting to watch because, like you said, they have a lot of holes on both sides of the ball, and they obviously, not that this is without just cause, but are a little bit hamstrung by the Hurts contract. So seeing how they – you know, supplement both the offensive skill positions and just kind of the entire spine of their defense uh, and address center, which is not an unimportant position. And I know they have a guy who's like been in house for a while who Kelsey's been like grooming to be his replacement. Uh, but, you know, who knows if they trust that or if they try to go out and get another guy. Uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm really I'm not like completely down and out on this team because I think Hertz was playing injured for like two-thirds of the season. Uh, Finger and, injury, like, like a bunch yeah. of stuff we probably haven't heard about yet. Right. Like they're when somebody is like capable of being semi-transcendent at the quarterback position, it can cover up a lot of holes. But, uh, I mean, obviously you, you felt better about them, you know, in years gone by than you do right now. Uh, but briefly before moving on to the next matchup, like – Hey, Bucks, briefly before moving on to that next matchup, uh, Mike McCarthy's gone. Oh, yeah. Oh, it just happened. That's, oh, that's no, great. No, opposite, opposite, opposite. Misread, misread. He's not gone. Dallas is not making a head coaching change, and <laughs> Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy is returning. Uh, sorry for the mini roller coaster. Uh, we can I, That would have been what I predicted was going to happen. I, I think somebody's going to win head coach who probably should have been fired but wasn't for either a second or maybe even third time on the TMB awards this offseason. I, I think that uh, that award is coming. So congratulations in advance to Mike McCarthy. 
Yes. Uh, let's go to the other side of this, though. I didn't. I didn't mean to cut you off with a fake news dump. Well, if it was fired, I would have said let's spend five ten minutes on it. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about them later. But yeah, the Bucks won. Baker Mayfield kind of balling. Uh, I mean, I know the Eagles were pretty bad, but this is a pretty big vindication not only for Baker, but just you know, an organization that we did not pick in our wins draft. One of the two teams that we thought would be the worst in the league this season now are one of the eight teams still playing football in mid January. It's, I get it. I get, I ultimately get why I doubted them. I was listening to, uh, I forget the the actual ringer feed show uh, that has Solak and Kapaja on it. But looking back, we like no one saw this coming. And not just like, oh, like let's let's save our own hide. They were making bets on whether Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask was going to start by the end of the season for this Buccaneers team. Todd was, was odds on first coach fired favorite. Yeah, well, this was like an everyone doubted you kind of team. And what it ended up being was like Antoine Winfield gets an all-pro season. Mike Evans gets another 1,000-yard season. Uh, Canales is going to get head coaching interviews. Uh, about as good of a season as you could have had. And there's some things we should have expected that we've, we've, you know, eaten crow on this and said that, we should have recognized that this defense was as good as it was. We should have recognized a team with Evans and Godwin is still going to be very good. Uh, we should have recognized a little bit of the regression on the Rashad White thing. Uh, what we didn't recognize was uh, uh, Baker Baker is, can still be kind of a baller. Like, I, I, I made jokes about Baker being a showman and, and just balling when the lights are bright. But, like, they're legit some good throws there. They're, and they're, you know, some big drops by Otten. Uh, you know, one of them tight, one of them not really tight at all and just kind of a drop that we're going to I don't get the whole tight end not wearing gloves thing. It's 2024. What are we doing here? Three, Three drops in the first half. Put some friggin' gloves on. But you get into this. Jackson, pick my fields a free agent. What, what are you paying? Like if you, cause it's like, how do you, how do you handle this situation now? Cause he's not like long-term good. He's not That's like you can't long. give him like Solak was saying you can't justify giving him the Jimmy G deal, which is like two or, or three seventy five, but you make it a two mil 25 APY deal. Like that's that's a little tough. If you make it incentive laden, maybe you can do twenty five. But it's if you can get him to take that. But I don't disagree. I mean, what the the Geno Smith contract seems perfect, but can you convince him to take that either? I think it's, I think it's tough. Is Geno getting like forty? Uh two for forty. If I'm not. Oh, listening. is it is it twenty mil? I thought it was a forty APY. No, no. Maybe 25, but the whole point was it that was like kind of the perfect contract, I think, for you know, your revived starter who you know you think can do it again, but it's not like you're a hundred percent certain. Uh, as the Seahawks weren't with Gino, uh, I'm glad we're not venturing into Daniel Jones territory. I hope no team ever makes that particular mistake again. 
Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, he's going to get somewhere between 40 and 70, two to three years. Uh, and I'd be surprised if it settles at the high end of that, but like teams are desperate. So you never know. Yeah. I, I don't think he, I'm, I'm curious on what the market is for him in the off season, but uh, the bucks are just kind of in like, not to like ride this out, ride this out as much as you can. Like, be a part of the crew, get on the pirate ship, whatever you want. But the Bucks are kind of in no man's land now. Like if Canales and Evans both leave and ba- and they run this back with Baker, they're not doing anything. But, yeah. you know, the, Saints are, also this running, year, but... the yeah. Saints are also running it back. So I don't know who, what the hell the NFC South is going to be. Hey, all I know is it was real ball. <laughs> NFC South ball and AFC South, both those teams win. Both the NFC East teams are out. South football was real ball, and we were just too cowardly to to note it during the regular season. Gardner Minshew almost won a division. That's crazy. Real ball. Now, Bills take care of business. I don't think they made it look as pretty as perhaps the uh, the Nolan Hughes of the world wanted it to, but it was still very cold, even if it wasn't uh, the Arctic tundra that we thought they were initially going to play in. Uh, and they certainly like, you know, they take a big lead early. They kind of fall apart late, end up winning by two touchdowns still. Uh, Terrell Bernard getting hurt really stings in the middle of all that. Uh, but the Bills are moving on and they get to host the Chiefs, which we know is the game the NFL has been hoping would happen for two years now. So is all well in Bills land or uh, how is how is the uh you know, the mood of Bill's Mafia heading into this crucial re-rematch in the playoffs? Uh, well, first off, the uh, Bernard, like, could be good. I hope. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy, but uh, Bernard had apparently, uh, according, according to McDermott, said, like, even though he got carted off, he's day-to-day. Uh, not quite day to day, but like could play in this game, which would be huge because then it comes down to like AJ Klein and uh, I don't even know who's behind him. Uh, but they they even lost a. Uh, I'm looking at the injury report now that Balin Specter uh, went out with a back injury. Uh, he wasn't a guy I even had in the almanac, so like that's that's deep <laughs> that's deep injuries at linebacker post Milano. Uh, but they had uh, in that game. Bernard go out with an ankle injury. Sam Martin, the punter, they picked up a new punter today. He's out with a hamstring injury. Christian Benford's out with a knee injury. Teron Johnson's in concussion protocol. Uh, And you already had Rasul Douglas and Taylor Rapp out. And Gabe Davis and Tyrell Dodson. So they're now, they're at their, some like the lowest they are at at linebacker. Uh, not sure which position, but in some capacity, they are at uh, linebacker five and six. <laughs> like, I'm not sure, like, you know, where they necessarily fall in the depth chart, but they're in some order. Four linebackers in their top six are just out in some capacity or injured. But big problem uh, if if one of those secondary guys, Benford, Douglas, and Rapp can come back, huge difference maker. Kansas City Chiefs offense, interestingly enough, actually uh, better on the road, uh, which is surprising. 
Uh, they haven't been as good this year at Arrowhead, and home road splits kind of shake out weird. But Shots was doing DVOA home road split projections, and Kansas City ended up kind of being a fascinating team in that regard because uh, they're way worse on the road defensively. But they're like, it goes from, I think, like 14th to 6th. I'm trying to scroll quickly and find it. They take a big jump uh, offensively uh, on the road. So it'll be a really interesting shakeout considering how banged up this Bills D is. But we also can't stress enough, first road game in Mahomes history. Seriously. We just don't know. Road playoff game, sorry. No, he's never gone on the road. He's played every single game in his career at home. Don't listen. Uh, I I almost think it could be good for them. I do. I, I think, I mean, obviously that's a tough place to play, but I don't know. Like something about it kind of makes me feel like, okay, they've been in kind of this lull this season and, you know, we're worried about like, is the offense capable of being as explosive? I think they – they woke up a little bit in this game. It's tough to say much with, you know, the weather, the way it was. And obviously they settled for way too many field goals, but I mean, Rasheed Rice was really, really, really good. And you combine that with like, okay, Kelsey had several drops, but seemed to be getting open. Uh, You know, it's, it's playoff Travis Kelsey. You can never rule anything out. Like if they woke up the offense a little bit and they get a little added motivation from having to be on the road for the first time, I think there's very much a formula here. And it's also, I mean, it's Bill's Chiefs in the playoffs. Like, you know, you know the tortured history here, and tortured histories are tortured for a reason. They they're pretty tough to uh flip the script and and you know, write what once went wrong in, in the case of Buffalo, and we all know what that wrong was. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think we have the uh I don't think we have any Chiefs in the uh, game ball conversation. Rishi Rice is is getting twelve to fifteen targets the rest of the way. He is the only, he is the only functional receiver on this roster. Did you look at the box score for that game by chance? I, I know I know it's it the time. I can pull it up again. I know it was cold. I, I've got it here. Uh, Rishi Rice and Travis Kelsey. Combined for 22 of the 34 uh, targets for Kansas City. Uh, the next highest person was Miko Hardman with three. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is. They don't trot. I know, I know Tony and Sky Moore were both out this game, but they don't trust anyone else. You don't trust those guys, that's for sure. You did have one, two, three, six guys with one catch each. That's kind of legendary. Uh, yeah, I mean, why should they throw it to anyone else? It works. It does work. Uh, the Bills I'm, might have five guys they're comfortable throwing to in that way in this game, not to mention Cook coming out of the backfield. So that's it's a pretty obvious advantage when you have, you know, Kincaid gets his playoff debut touchdown. Shakir gets his first playoff touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, weird, weird second half of the season for Stephon Diggs. I'm still bookmarking that one. Like, not putting up anywhere near Stephon Diggs-like stat lines ever. So, 
interested to see if he wakes up for this big one or if he continues to do like his seven for 51 like he's been doing the last six weeks or so. I just don't hate the Bills spreading it out. Like Josh Allen, Josh Allen being a more engaged runner, all about. Uh, Game James, sure. James Cook getting 20 touches a game, all about. Uh, Deontay Hardy and Khalil Shakir and like just all those guys getting more touches, all about that. Dalton Kincaid getting more involved, so in. And if Gabe Davis could just be your wind sprinter, we're cooking. Uh, I, I think, you know, Diggs is going to be awesome. Diggs will have his moments. But I think it's more important to get all the rest of the gang in there. I think it's more important to get everyone else involved than it is to just have, you know, a digs party going because the better digs is doing the more attention he draws and like the harder it is to work the ball to him so you got to get it to everyone else but now if you're worried about everyone else you're getting more base looks you're getting less doubles you're getting more or less uh you know press coverages the line with a guy overhead like you're going to get opportunities to then get digs the ball and i don't think you know kansas city's not gonna be the team to sleep on digs but you might get a player too where they're like or Spags just isn't accounting for it, or it's just a pure numbers thing. And then he's cooking. What are the odds that Stefan Diggs is still on the Bills next year if they win this game? Versus what are the odds that Stefan Diggs is still on the Bills if they lose this game? Uh huh. I don't know. I think um, the split is big. I think this puts big, but I don't know how bad it's gotten. Like he's about to get. Thing is, he's got a he's got a crazy trade kicker, or, or like not not a trade kicker like it's NBA, but like they take a three point two mil cap hit if they trade him before June one, and it's thirty one mil in uh, it's it's thirty one mil in money that they're. Uh, I don't know if it's a thirty one mil dead cap hit with a trade. Uh, I don't know if you do dead cap hits or if it's a transfer of money, uh, but he's a he jumps from making fourteen mil this year, fourteen eight to twenty seven eight. Like it's a huge jump to a top three wide receiver contract in APY. Yeah, like the second you're making twenty six, twenty seven mil, it's Cooper Cup, Devonte Adams, Tyree Kill are the are the only guys making above. 25 mil, the baseline of AJ Brown. So he's like officially a top three receiver. And you kind of need him. Like, I know there's some weird stuff going on with the Bills where there's like always some tinge of drama between Allen and Diggs, but like, set that aside. You need this guy. Like, you need Diggs at wide receiver one to work out because the other, like, you've never really dedicated too much draft resource to replacing him and you know you got as good a time of any as net uh, as this year's draft to do it but like i don't know this is your window you're one of the older teams in football mcdermott's in it for the long haul beans in it for the long haul allen's here for the long haul just lock it in like make sure you have digs i don't i i don't even want to justify a world where if they blow this game in some dramatic fashion, I know you've got, I forget if it was uh, Trey or Quandre, 
uh, tweeting about like get my brother out of there, like free Stefan. Uh, but like you've got to you've got to work that out. You've got, uh, you've to, got to until he says he's gone. That's you know that's the if it truly can't be recovered. I'm not going to pretend to know all of the you know deep deep dive internet stuff that Nolan I'm sure has uncovered by now about whatever, you know, fractures there have been historically in the, the Diggs Allen relationship, but Nolan I have talked extensively about I it. don't doubt that. Uh, and I don't doubt that some of it is also somewhat inappropriate for uh podcast medium, but I just think like there's, there's a much greater chance that he like tries to force his way out if they lose this game. And that's kind of what I'm, morbidly curious about uh and you know i'm not saying that you know you're wrong about needing him uh but there is a an alternative world where you know if he really does force his way out you can you can trade him and use whatever trade capital you get back to find his replacement in this draft so um i'm just not ruling it out at this point uh moving on because i don't want to talk about the steelers yet i will talk about the steelers but just not yet the game that I, I think, you know, in our hearts was first this weekend, uh, not just because of the result, but because it was just good ball. Uh, and I want to talk about it. Uh, Lions, Rams, all the storylines coming in, all of them play out. Storybook ending, people crying in the stands in Detroit. And uh, Jared Goff, you're you're good enough for effing Detroit, man. Game ball. Not really game ball, but he got it in real life. We are kind of giving game balls out by game, like like we are. We have game balls. It's true. Week, but like, have we have we done a game that had one yet? I don't think uh, we have. No, <laughs> they're going to start coming out. We've just been giving out the motivational games. ones. Yeah, uh, it was a good. It was a really rewarding game. Like I would say, Stafford is better than golf. I don't think that's that's too controversial, but. It was it was really impressive to see the entire rest of that team come together, and that the Lions are just better. Like I, I I'm glad that the Lions proved they are better than the Rams, because the Rams are hot. They've got Aaron Donald. They've got you know one of the more explosive young receiver running back duos in the league. Sure, uh, losing Tyler Higbee is crazy, uh, but like just. 53-man roster, 53-man roster. Uh, Detroit's a special team. Detroit is, like, unlike anything else in the league, completely homegrown. That defense of Brian Branch, Aleem McNeil, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Jack Campbell, all draft guys, or you get into the Alex Angelonis and C.J. Gardner-Johnsons of the world where it's just – not like not necessarily veteran reclamations in Anzalone's case. I think it is a reclamation. I think making him one of the better, just all around linebackers in the league, just just a pure toolsy guy. Uh, I think is a pure reclamation. Picking him up from uh, uh, the Dolphins, uh, but like just making savvy moves in free agency and rounding out that core as best you can. I think is super important, and it's really nice to see it all come together and properly get rewarded. I think that was a big thing. Yeah, and I think it's it's just one of those things where we've been on this for so long. We've been on the, you know, Dan Campbell good vibes, uh, you know, Detroit, they're bad now, but watch out for them in the future. Uh, and I think it's rare in sports that you see 
the whole thing kind of come together exactly as you hope it does. And, you know, last year they start one and five and we're, we're all hitting the panic button. We're starting to talk about like, you know, Hey, how much leash does Dan Campbell have here? We're not going to get fired now, but like this can't continue. And then they close the year the way they do. And they win that game in weeks, week 18, where they just found out they got eliminated from the playoffs and they're just playing for pride and to eliminate the Packers and they do it. And we're all so excited. And the hype train is building for this upcoming season, but you know, it's one thing for the hype train to go. It's another thing for them to actually do it. And they come out and they beat the chiefs on opening night and they storm to a division title. And even when they have some letdowns here and there, they seem to just keep bouncing back. And yet, I still think all of it pales in comparison to this night, this game, winning their first playoff game in 32 years. I mean, we're talking that stadium's been around our entire lives, pretty much. Maybe not all of it, but like definitely since we were young kids and nobody had ever seen a playoff game, let alone win in that stadium. So just like the authenticity of all these people just crying in Detroit in the crowd when the game is ending. It was it was perfect. I mean, it was it was like it was one of those moments where you just, you know, thank thank the Lord above that you're a sports fan because you don't get stuff like that in many other walks of life. No, you don't. It is. We've I don't know if we've spoken about it on this pod, but like I've brought it up to you and Nolan before that this like sports are the greatest venue for nonfiction storytelling and, and are the last real bastion of of like you know, fo- like folklore style storytelling that we get in real life. I, I, I think it's a a genuinely important part of uh, like American mythos and like, which is a crazy thing. It's like this is, I'm getting too deep and, and don't want to get into like this country has like very little culture and the fact that like we've got to rely on our major like storytelling and like folk heroes as sports figures is is very interesting but uh it's just it's just so cool to see it's just so cool that like a like a true underdog story in every facet of like campbell's a meathead but like is actually one of the bigger analytics minds in the league uh and everyone doubts him because people made south park uh, memes about him when he was an interim coach with the Dolphins, but he's actually like one of the all-around like great guys and best coaches in the league who truly cares about his players. Jared Goff is a complete total write-off uh, from the Los Angeles Rams and needs uh, and, and like it's pretty much a cast-off in Detroit and has uh, while limited become one of the uh, ten most productive quarterbacks in football. Amarase Brown keeps naming every. Uh, they can still name every wide receiver drafted before him and just got named to an all pro team, like and just had his hair blue, yeah. Fun. Where, wherever you look on this team, you can even, if you really want to, you know, get picky with it. Like Hutchinson got slighted by the Jaguars for taking uh Trayvon Walker, yeah. And, his arms are too short, didn't you hear? Yeah, and, and <laughs> like. Whatever the hell you want to come up with, like there are underdog stories abound on this team. And the fact that they all culminate in this whole city where that's just been beaten down uh, by like, you know, 
market crash after market crash, like death of a like death of industry in America, the 08 auto and housing crisis. Uh, dang it, like I I don't bring this up to like just get more existential. Uh, Dan Campbell's brought up these things, uh, like talked about how hard the city has just been kicked uh, and beaten down and how Campbell wanted to embody that and really recognize and understand that and bring that, not just this team success, but bring this city joy, like bring the city something to root for. It is truly uplifting. It, it, it is you know, if like if Disney made a movie about it, if Mike Lupico wrote a kid's book about it, it would be too cliche. But there's just all these different facets and all these different like straight up literary elements that are so awesome. And, and it makes the whole thing like that much more rewarding. It's so cool. Yeah, I I have enjoyed the uh, I don't know how it came out of the woodwork, but the uh, the Internet meme that was like if you read mike lupica growing up like you grew up to no ball i don't i don't know how that came about but i was thinking about heat i was thinking about heat and travel team oh yeah travel team summer ball uh what's the 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 other baseball one i think i'm the only one who read that other baseball one it's the other baseball one. no there was like uh what's the one of the yankee stadium is that travel team Yankee Stadium is is heat. Travel team is the like original one about the the kid who's too small and plays travel basketball. But then there's another baseball one about like a kid who plays like summer collegiate level baseball that I also read. So the the discography, uh, which definite bibliography, because there is a word for that, goes quite deep. Uh, I mean, I've watched the last thing on the Lions. I've watched that locker room video. I, sorry, I didn't even. I'm hear now it. just looking through Mike Lupica books, uh, and I forgot he took over for Robert Parker. That's kind of a sick. Yeah. One. Last thing on the lines, just because I've watched it so many times. The the locker room video, which are always great with them, uh, when he gives the literal game balls to uh, Brad Holmes, who's another underdog story you could mention, a minority GM in the NFL who started uh, his professional life as an enterprise rent a car manager, uh, like me. Small side note, uh, and then started out in PR with the Atlanta Hawks and is now a playoff winning GM in the NFL. So him getting a game ball, how emotional he was, and then Jared Goff getting his game ball, uh, who has embraced Detroit like I don't think people expected at the time of the trade. California kid playing in California, got the big contract, and then the team just gave up on him. Like the way both those guys have just become ingrained as a part of the city's culture has been awesome and that video is the coolest thing i saw a week so lions win they also are six and a half point favorites and are playing at home again in the second round so it's no longer you know the cute let's get their first playoff win underdog story now there's pressure and now they're they can smell a title game berth so i'm excited for that one too because i want to see how they respond to that and they obviously have a great chance to get to that title game have you? How have you never given a uh, an enterprise rent a car story? Was it just that dull of a job that there's nothing good to tell about it? How am I just hearing that you worked at enterprise rent a car? Well, it was only for four months. Uh, it's a very complex time in my life where I was coming back from playing baseball in Europe and was looking for like part time seasonal employment so I could go back and play in Europe again for one more year. And then it turns out I had a wrist injury that was way worse than I initially thought and needed to get surgery on. 
and was still looking into going back to Europe the following season when COVID hit, and that was just totally negated as a possibility. So uh, it was only a four-month foray at Enterprise, long story short, because COVID hit. And uh, no, there are plenty of stories you could tell from uh, terrible customer interactions at Enterprise Rent a Car. People are really awful to other people, uh, especially in the service industry. And something about a car, as opposed to like you know, a plate of food, is like people people somehow think that they're like the same thing and that they have this like preordained right to get exactly the car they reserve at exactly the right time. And if it doesn't happen, it's completely you know, your fault, uh, and it gets really, really messy. So that's, that's on working at enterprise. It's, it's hard and people are mean. I can imagine. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad that you and Brad Holmes were able to get out of that. I concur. Uh, I guess that leads us to talking about the Cowboys. There's no segue there whatsoever. Did we, did we just get like, do we want any on the Rams? Cause it's just a weird are you a head scratcher about the Rams? Well, yeah, we'll save that. Yeah, I mean, Puka Nakua was awesome, like really awesome, and he's been really awesome for a while. And it what's up with Cooper Cup? I don't know. What's up with Cooper Cup? Is yeah, he the just, red zone stuff? I don't know washed? how injured he was all season, but didn't look right at all for most of the year. I just if. I don't want to put a wash label on him, but he's the fourth highest paid receiver once this Diggs deal kicks in. And it's just a problem. Like, you just can't be that that high paid and that bad. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy to me that the Rams just have uh, no succession plan. Uh, with Stafford being, you know, I'm not saying he's, he's Flacco's age, but, like, he's getting up there, and he's flirted with retirement before. Uh Rams are just in such a weird spot, man. Well, we we were talking about them being bad this year and, you know, complete rebuild on the horizon. And then they start off pretty mediocre and end up turning into a good team as the season rolls on. And I think we would say that, you know, even out of the, the six eliminated teams, like they went out the best. And, you know, if there was any team we wish we could find an extra spot for, like I would be open to taking the bucks out and putting the Rams in this next round, but you know, that's not how sports work, but yeah. uh yeah, like they're, if the move is just run it back again, like I could see them being in this same position next year, a wildcard team you don't want to see, or I could see them stinking. Like, and a lot of it depends on the health of a guy who's had health problems. So Again, really interested to just see how that progresses because I, I definitely don't think there's like a complete rebuild in their near on their horizon, especially not this offseason. Well, the, like the thing is, the rebuild kind of happened, like a little bit, not, not fully. Like the defense was still pretty mediocre, and like uh, they had some reclamation projects. I'm trying to pull up this this video from uh, Brett Coleman's podcast uh, because there was a uh, the title of their Rams preview this summer was like, yes, you're reading this right. The Rams have 38 rookies on their roster. Like, it's it's some crazy stat. Let me see if I can find it because my computer's loading very slowly. But, like, long story short, the Rams kind of had, like, them hitting on Pukunuku is a big deal. Like, them getting that ball rolling is huge. Uh, the rest of it is just, like, having Kyron Williams – 
become one of the more explosive backs. Okay, yeah. The title is the Rams. The Rams have uh, have 36 rookies on their roster. Yes, seriously. So, like, they, they have a like, crap ton of youth talent. And some of those guys hit. Uh, I didn't watch enough Rams defense beyond, like, general exposure to know that Aaron Donald is still getting doubled. Like, I don't know Rams rookies, defensive people that well. But, like, I there's still a lot of work to do there. But, like, they've, they've got a baseline at this point of, like, this is a class that we can either work with and mold or we're volume shooting and we're going to continue volume shooting. It's it's tough to say either way, but like you know, I don't think Stetson Bennett's gonna be starting for this team. Kind of <laughs> no, but it's nice to have their draft. You know, it's nice to have their picks. I think you know, this is literally the first time this upcoming season that they'll have like not only their full cabinet of picks, but just a first round pick in general, and that's quite exciting to see what they might be able to build out of that. But as as you also mentioned, like they have no they have no backup plan to Matthew Stafford. So either either draft that guy now, or it's going to be like you know your classic you know free agent retool in a couple of years. But I am I am interested to see what like this not this time next year, but like heading into the playoffs next year. Are we talking about the Rams the exact same way as this year, or is it like what we thought this year might turn into, which is just time to blow it up? I don't think it's uh, blowing it up to stretch when you have McVay. I think there is such thing as a competitor. Who might retire? <laughs> McVay could go at any minute too. It, it is so crazy that he's just he's just that volatile. Same with Donald. Same with Stafford. That this could just all fall apart so quickly feels nuts. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do think it's time to talk about the Cowboys. But how about? not going to lead with the Cowboys. I'm going to lead with the Packers because I don't think anybody's doing that. But like – Don't think anyone's Love. leading with the Packers and how good they've been? I don't uh, think – And just yeah. – Like their defense out. was bad for most of the year, but about week eight on, that offense has been terrifying. Jordan Love's looked like a top ten quarterback. They did it again. They, they have some kind of witchy juju that allows them to get – you know, elite level quarterback talent at any and all times. And I think you've just got to sit quarterbacks now. I think that I think the new thing going forward is you just sit quarterbacks. I guess. And they now have as many wins in the Cowboys new stadium in the playoffs as the Cowboys do three to three. So that stinks for the Cowboys. Let's talk a little bit about the Packers. And the first thing is, as Kale alluded to, we'll just give game balls out as we talk about these games. Jordan love game ball. Jordan Love game ball. Uh, I'd almost give give some laces to Aaron Jones, man. Like that was that was just an all around great performance. But in a weekend where the two first year starters both won their games, I'm just pumped that we get to see this for the next like ten years. I'm just I'm pumped that Jordan Love is that dude. I'm pumped that CJ Stroud balled. But like Jordan Love, man, looks special. Jordan Love is so good. This was the the way that he just like didn't miss a throw the entire day pretty much in what was like a really, 
high pressure moment for a guy that, you know, has been waiting this long to get his chance and his team barely snuck into the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 16 to 21 for 272, three touchdowns, 157 pass rating, like basically just played a perfect game. And another, uh, did you know that the Cowboys were eight no at home again this year and the Packers were four and five on the road and none of that mattered in the playoffs? Cause do you know, they- this was the first Cowboys loss since they lost to Tom Brady in the Bucks week one of last year. The first uh, oh, at home, home. yeah. Home loss. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they lost other games. Yes, yes. First home. Yeah, loss they went to the Super Bowl game. and then went undefeated until just now. Agreed. Uh, no, that was the first home loss for them in in sixteen like, year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and I, I want to just jump into bashing them, but like the Packers are going to go play the Niners. Like, there's a non-zero chance that this Packers team is in the NFC championship after the whole narrative was, you know, can't get there with Rogers anymore. Rebuild mode. Uh, they even lost a couple games in December this year where things started to flip on them and, you know, vibes weren't very good, but man, like vibes are really good now. Even if they do lose this game, not only did they get their guy, but they are set up very well for success. And NFC North is just going to be really fun to watch for a long time with them in it. It is. They are, and I'm pumped. The I'm pumped. The defense woke up like a little bit. Uh, I, I know we're gonna talk. I you can't talk about how good the Packers defense played without slandering the Cowboys because straight up Dak just got broken. Like like they they punted that first drive and CD and Dak ran at each other's throats and uh like the the pick six was just like there were errant throws by a quarterback that is such a great manager of the game. Uh, I phrase that like that because I don't want to call him a game manager because I think he's a legitimately talented quarterback that's that's you know seven to ten in the league, which in the you know with all the good young quarterback talent we have right now, I'd I'd say is pretty good. Uh, but yeah, like this, this is the youngest team in football. Uh, at this point, Lafleur is not getting nearly enough credit for just how good of a job that he's doing with his team, uh, especially a team this young, uh, a team that like was really screwing up in all facets of the game early in the season, and just like when you finally like you, it took him half a year to kind of get it all in their system and, and, you know, figure it out. But once it was there, that was awesome. Like this is, this is a legitimately, and it doesn't really matter what happens in San Francisco, I think either. Like, it's just about this. It's just about like making the statement that we have arrived and just going with, like just putting it all out there and making that big of a statement. I don't care what happens this year. You're set for the next half decade. Lafleur is going to be one of the longest tenured coaches in football at this rate if he keeps us up. Isn't it just brutal the way like history continues to repeat itself? And that's from the Packers' angle of this. That's from the Cowboys' angle of this. 
I'm even going to throw like a weird ricochet shot at the Chicago Bears out of all this because as you're watching the Packers, uh, there's literally like TikToks of Bears fans like start to finish watching that game, just like preying on the Packers downfall and being so just crestfallen at how good love looked and how they're just, you know, doomed again. Meanwhile, the bears are firing everyone on their staff, except the head coach and just thinking that's somehow going to work out for them. Uh, Like things really just don't change sometimes in this league. And this game was like the most all encompassing, uh, you know, example of that. I think you could possibly find. If we're doing, if we're doing teams that, don't change. I'm really gonna throw a throw a a hard stray, a hard ricochet out here. Uh, like the Saints are doing that, dude. Like that's the <laughs> dumbest thing. The, Double ricochet. The Saint. The Saints just fired their offensive coordinator. Jackson, do you know how long Pete Carmichael was the offensive coordinator for the Saints? Eight years. Two thousand nine, Jackson. Do you know how long Dennis Allen's been with the Saints? In in some capacity has been the DC since 2015. And then like between tw- 2005 and 2011 was was there in some capacity for like six or seven years. Yeah. Before becoming the DC again. In between there somewhere just was the worst Raiders coach out of a string of terrible Raiders coaches and then went on back. Like he is, this is a bad franchise. Whatever, we are not talking about a team <laughs> no. totally relevant. I just wrote a thing on it today where I was just like, "How do you keep doing this? <laughs> What's going on?" I have no good things to say about the Saints, so don't try to pressure me into it. Uh, I, I don't have any good things to say about the Cowboys either. I think it's finally time to to get bashing because, yikes! Can I throw out like we can do the we can do the Dak thing. Like we can, I'd love to do the Dak thing. I'd love to break down Dak with you. I'd love to break down Mike McCarthy with you. While it's still top of mind for me, I did want to throw out a uh, a, uh, a Dan Quinn nugget. Dan Quinn has been uh, great this season at going on the fly. Where uh, you know, Leighton Vander Esch goes out uh, there able to recover slightly. Uh, you lose Trey Diggs in practice, and Deron Bland is breaking pick six records, and Stefan Gilmore is uh, like close to Patriot Stefan Gilmore again. Uh, the time in, like time in, time out, Dan Quinn has been able to uh, make this Cowboys team work. Except for in the Packers game. I, I wanted to throw this little PFF nugget out there. Uh, the Packers are uh, run a ton of 12 personnel. The Cowboys, because of how thin they are at linebacker, under Dan Quinn, respond to 12 personnel with nickel. They bring an extra corner onto the field. LaFleur and the Packers then say, Oh, you're going to throw an extra corner at us? Uh, we're going to take the size advantage uh, from going in a big set and you going small, and we're just going to run the ball. And then Dan Quinn sees that and goes, all right, Aaron Jones, run for, a, run for a lot of yards, doing a lot of work. And you see that in the whole first drive. 
And instead, and instead of uh, you know making a halftime adjustment where you figure something out, uh, Dan Quinn then runs nickel against twelve personnel on seventy eight percent of snaps, and just keeps letting it happen to him. Uh, that is that is lack of adjustment, and that is a problem. Uh, Packers, you know, finished with a great rushing day. Whatever, I don't need to get that far into it. But 21 carries, 118 yards, three touchdowns for Aaron Jones. Uh, love to go back and see how many of those are nickel personnel, those touchdowns. But, you know, just the kind of thing this Cowboys team did where it was just like, uh, you know, Dan Quinn couldn't really run man against the Packers and kept running man. And the Packers passed all over them. Uh Dan Quinn not recognizing the, you know, the mismatch in the run game and just allowing Aaron Jones to completely take over the game. Uh, Mike McCarthy running one of the most milquetoast offenses in the league or Dak Prescott recognizing that, like, hey, I can't get it to CD right now. I'm not going to keep trying to get it to CD, despite the fact that in the second half of the year he had something like a 40% target share. Like, this this is a bad Packers defense, and you allowed – them to like you allowed yourselves to get beat by that bad Packers defense, not the other way around. The Dan Quinn bit of it is the part that like most intrigues me in a sense of he was like widely considered as one of the top head coaching candidates, and now he has this one blip on his radar. And in my mind, I'm saying that shouldn't be disqualifying, but at the same time, like. I know, another defense, I know another defensive coordinator who showed terribly in his last DC outing before he got named a head coach. You know what his name was? It was Matt Patricia. So not feeling great about Don't do that. Know, on the Seahawks bringing in Dan Quinn. Uh, Don't do that. That's, I don't want to be like yeah, – That's got I'm a special good. stink on it. That's got a special Belichick stink on it. You can't do that. I don't I don't disagree. Uh the other one's Jonathan Gannon. Uh his defense gets torched and he gets a head coaching job. So Jerry is still out there. He's doing okay there. Like the Yeah. What else? You didn't expect good results this year. Yeah, you have <laughs> at least no we got one. that one right. At least they were bad. They still beat the Matt Patricia's team at the end of the season. So there's hope yet. Uh brief, brief Dak stuff, uh, and just like final notes on the Cowboys. All I had was just I I think you have to run it back with Dak, obviously, but that that hurt because like this was the closest he's ever going to have to an MVP season. You know, the guy just turned thirty. You know, the weapons are good now. Are they going to continue to be good for a long time? Are they going to lock up CD? Are they going to be able to lock up Ferguson? Don't one hundred percent know, but this felt like the best chance they've had in the Dak era even more so than like Dak's rookie year with rookie Zeke and uh, you know, that, that Packers loss that also was haunting. Like this one really felt like they at bare minimum should have made the conference championship. And it just makes you wonder like, what's, what's Dak's ceiling with this team? Like, can you trust Dak to even take you to a conference championship, let alone a Super Bowl win uh, if this wasn't the year uh, and, you know, especially given how bad he looked in, in trying to do so. It's it's not like – also, they will have Ferguson, which is good. Uh, Ferguson is in year two of a four-year 
rookie deal. So yeah, Ferguson- I'm more so thinking the timeline of like when Dak is up for his for his new contract in two years. Like there's going to be an extension with Dak, and I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, like you know, Jerry Jones spent a lot of time saying like I'm not talking about anything now, uh, but it's something on the horizon. Uh, what I would argue is Dak is awesome. Uh, Dak is a very good quarterback, and there's a reason he keeps – or there's a reason he put himself in MVP conversation this year, and he keeps leading the Packers – or the Packers, uh, the Cowboys to really strong records uh, every year. Like, you keep finishing near the top of the NFC. Uh, you keep competing for division titles in one of the toughest divisions in football. Uh, and, yeah, you keep flaming out in the playoffs. Yeah, you keep losing to the really good opponents. Just take the pressure off of Dak. Like, Dak, you can win with, and sometimes you can win because of. It's really important to beat really good teams or really bad teams uh, and, and beat them handily and do your job. But give them a little bit of help against the big guys. Give them a little bit of help against the really good teams. There's no shame in that. It's why Mike McCarthy shouldn't be the head coach because he doesn't do that. He just puts it all in Dak's hands. And and there was some valid criticism of Dak saying, like, he freaks out a bit when he gets off his first read. That's fine. Like, it's not great, but, like, it's manageable. And you got to be able to handle that. And you got to be able to work with that. So just, like – like it maybe it's running some PRO stuff, maybe it's running some like you know, single look plays with some additional distraction in there and getting a little bit creative to like you know give one look, show another, and try like just try and scheme players open for single or two look reads, but give them a little bit of creative play calling help here. Don't put it all in his hands. I, I, I think this team is absolutely good enough to win if they just had a stronger mind at the table. And they fired Kellen Moore last offseason and like McCarthy reassumed play calling duties. So and it, I, I just don't get how objectively that was like what's crazy is that's a right move and they're still wrong in how they're pursuing this. Right. And I just don't I cannot believe that like winning one game in the playoffs wasn't the difference between McCarthy keeping and not keeping his job this year. Like I thought that if there was anything we could count on, it was that the regular season did not matter to the Cowboys. It was all about what happens when they get to the playoffs that would determine whether or not McCarthy stayed the head coach. And I guess it wasn't. So, you know, there you go. Jones called this the most painful loss of his, the most painful playoff loss ever. Uh, and how does that like? I'm not gonna call for a man's job because I don't know how many more jobs Mike McCarthy would get if he lost this. Because someone pointed this out. Uh, <laughs> Mike McCarthy's got enough money; he's okay. There are there are like I think there's like four or five straight Cowboys head coaches that have been fired and never gotten another job. So like McCarthy would like likely be done uh, if this rule holds. Uh, at least as a head coach. You know but, why? Because the Cowboys keep all their head coaches forever. Jason yeah. Garrett was there almost a decade. 
they do get a crazy runway. And Jason Garrett actually, like, hearing him talk that night about the whole procedure where it's Jerry Jones is going to be an absolute, uh, like, great owner and, like, there for his team when he uh, set, uh, like, in the 24 hours, 48 hours after this game, and he's going to console them and he's going to mourn. And then he's going to be a businessman. <laughs> Like he was he, listening to him talk. I do not enjoy his coverage on NBC often, but in the one time that he knows like, exactly no, it's appropriate what's going that he's on, here for talk. once. Yeah, go off, King. Uh, yeah, weird week for NBC. Uh, I'll actually use that as a transition for uh, NBC because uh, NBC desecrated NFL football by putting it on Peacock, and then like the. Uh, the tone of their coverage the next day. They're like, thank you, Peacock montage, historic night for America. Way to go, us. Pat yourself on the back thing. It was very odd. Uh, and obviously, like, the game is more important here, but it it played out every bit as, like, strangely. And, I like, what, <laughs> what else do you think was going to happen? They still had the lowest viewership of any of the games this weekend, which would not have happened if you didn't put it on Peacock. So you were just trying to make a quick buck. Like, what's what's the point of any of this is my main question. Like, why why do we need playoff football on Peacock that nobody was asking for? It's just, it, it's just bad that it's just going to lead to more. Like, this was a technically positive case study in – doing this and i just wish it's cra- it's crazy that it's that it would ever come to this but like i'd almost prefer it was like a pay-per-view model like it, and it's so gross and grim to say that but i wish it was just peacock being like hey man like we get it like we we are doing this for a cash grab give us 5 bucks and you can watch this game like this is an on demand movie on-demand movies on Apple are like th- like to rent are like three bucks now, four bucks. Like they are not that expensive unless you're watching like brand new broadcast. So just give us give us a a little little buy-in because you're now banking on twenty percent of people forgetting to renew their Peacock subscription. So your twenty three million views for what is eight like eight bucks a month then tax on to an extra, you know, $40 million if you're just totally doing it by gross. Uh, and that's your banging on. That's bad. Uh, and I don't like that model. And I don't like that more teams and streaming services will, uh, you know, advocate for that model going forward. It, but It reminds me of when people take the side of ownership in either CBA negotiations or like player contract negotiations. And it happens all the time in baseball where, you know, teams stick up for these cheapo owners or just the entire group of owners in a league as a whole. And it's like, why do you need to have the billionaire execs backs? Like they, they are doing fine for themselves. And in this case, it's why, why are these people on the internet like defending the whole like just pay the five bucks for Peacock, whatever? Like it's the price of a Starbucks coffee. Like just do it, whatever. It's like, well, 
how much <laughs> I think we all recognize that it's not the eight bucks. It's the how much more money do these, you know, billionaire TV execs really need? Like, why do, why do they need to do this? There's just simply no reason. And they paint it as a huge success and they're absolutely going to do it again. And it just irks me because it's so like they're the imbalance in in the media industry between like the 99% of people who like work hard on the daily to make things happen, you know, make broadcasts happen. And then just the people at the top who are just, Hey, let's make it on Peacock so we can, you know, make a couple extra billy on our year end bonuses is just really excruciating. The, I don't, I don't want more teams to do it. Like or more streaming services to do it. I would take like, I don't mind getting NBA Pass through YouTube TV, or I don't mind getting the like Sunday ticket through YouTube TV because that is a service, a, a you know tax deductible service for me. Uh, that I can like, it, it is something gratuitous. It is something uh, to see like more than I am ever meant to see as a fan. That like one of those things where it's like if you went back in time and you showed this to a caveman, his brain would melt. Uh, or, sh- or showed this to a, you know, if you, if you showed if you showed the quad box to Shakespeare, like <laughs> he'd lose his mind. Uh, but if, like, I, I don't like doing it for individual events that were, that are always on television, that are always like that should be universal. That's the difference here, because we know, like, okay, Sunday tickets coming to YouTube TV, and we already. Or used to paying X amount for Sunday ticket every year, et cetera. But this was like sprung on us. Then you know, there's like football. I don't even mind that much in the sense that again, like, season long thing, and you know how it works. Season long, the games are usually bad, and the majority—I wouldn't say the majority, but like enough people have Amazon subscriptions where Prime is free, so it's it's a smaller barrier to entry. You also get enough other utility out of a Prime subscription, you know. A, I'm there's not, like I'm the entire get... consumer side of Amazon, but like you're getting Peacock. Like the only other content you're getting is other NBC stuff. And like some people <laughs> don't like The Office as much as I do or 30 Rock. Like, and I was, was going to say, like, have I, to be bought into NBC for it. I was going to say I would buy, buy uh, Chiefs Dolphins for 30 Rock, but. I will never get over the fact that at some point in its life cycle, still very far off from like Office's peak heyday, like like toward the point of Office exhaustion, uh, NBC set up the Peacock pay model around how much Office you could watch. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the game that was actually on Peacock because uh, I rewatched that and. Dolphins are gonna be fine, man. Dolphins are good. Dolphins are set. I'm That's fine. What you with came them. away with? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I didn't. I came away with the Dolphins are gonna win double digit games in the regular season for a while. You're gonna I call? Not, you think the Dolphins are AFC Cowboys? It's not even a Cowboys thing. It's like they're a, you know, they're they're a soft team. They're a you know, speed and flash regular season team. And like, I hate to be like a boomer here, but like playoff football is like slug it out, cold weather, you know, hat on hat football. And the Dolphins don't win like that. And Tua is not good enough to win games like that with his arm. Like they, 
they they need too many things to go right for it to work out for the entirety of a playoff run. That's that's what I came away from this game thinking. I think the defense. I think if you had, you know, the the thing of this game is, I I I haven't looked at box scores to check for uh, blitz rates and stuff like that. Uh, you like premium box scores, but with Miami losing both Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb and being down straight up like th- your top three edge rushers on the year is pretty uh, crazy and is not a thing to, you know, stick your nose up at. Uh, so, like, defensively, the, they were very much compromised, and I think that played a big part in uh, the Chiefs side of things. And this game was... I think closer than box score let on, but I, I straight up just think this this was a weather thing, and, and and there's there was some staggering around that like two is two is like six and twenty in games below seventy degrees, like and and that's not like cold weather that's below seventy degrees. Oh and uh, oh and eleven I believe now in forty or below. Yeah, something like that. But uh, this game was straight up like our field is negative 30. This is the third coldest game in NFL history. This field is frozen. You cannot run the out routes that this offense is compromised on. Uh, And is it part of Mike McDaniel's game plan to say, hey, uh, it might be a little chilly and you might not be able to pivot. We got to figure something out. Yeah. Uh, Mike McDaniel, I think, has a little bit of a tough time adjusting. Uh, it happened last year where uh, they couldn't handle jams. They couldn't handle uh, post-snap uh, coverage transitions, and they couldn't handle uh, blitzing by Tua. And I think some of it, uh, we've obviously chalked up the concussion stuff and Tua's ability to process uh, but two has like always just been bad after the snap. This year, with the little cheetah motions, uh, with the little uh, like you know short route, get Tyreek up to speed and go. Uh, Spagnuolo in Germany used that as like, oh, that's when the snap is coming. Now I'll change my coverage over top, or that's when the snap is coming. Now I can bring my corner over for a blitz. Like he used that as like, oh, that's just snap timing, and. Having that edge and not recognizing that and also not adjusting different offensive things and also not being able to like run the ball in this weather when you you're like not able to run the ball because your entire pass offense is compromised. Those are all big issues and those all add up. And I think McDaniel has to, as a second year play caller or, or second year head coach, just learn the wrinkles a little bit better. Like, like not just be the biggest innovator in football, someone that even his former mentor, like, will borrow off of. But he's just got to learn to, like, you know, keep having rabbits in his hat. Like, I can't think of another thing. He's just got to have another counter. Yeah, I mean, you kind of said it all in a sense that, like, this was not like 
a job jeopardizing loss for Mike McDaniel. I think everyone thinks very highly of Mike McDaniel and there probably weren't many situations in which they win a game like this, especially in negative seven with negative 30 wind chill, but there's still like a lot of growth that needs to happen personally and, you know, organization wide. Uh, and I just keep coming back to Tua as well, man. Like I am not, I am not sold that there's a world where Tua can win a Super Bowl. Like I'm just not, and I'm not saying that to like completely knock Tua because he's already been, I think, better as a pro, and especially after the first couple of years where a lot of people were really down on him. I think he's rejuvenated his career uh, and been better than most people think, and I think he can be a great regular season quarterback. And I think they've built an offense that works perfectly around his talents, but. Like, give me Brock Purdy in the postseason over to uh, give me Trevor Lawrence in the postseason over to uh, uh, maybe give me Anthony Richardson in the postseason over to uh, I've yet to that's see that. That's a crazy yet. thing to say, Jackson. You've seen him for five games. I don't know yet. I'm just saying, like, that's why I said maybe. I'm not saying definitely, but like, there's, there's <laughs> a very see- limited ceiling with Tua that I feel confident in saying now, having watched him for a couple of years. Jackson, I like I like getting takes off as much as the next guy. You can't you can't say you would watch Anthony Richardson when he has like six touchdowns ever. Look, I said maybe. I'm not I'm just saying, like, what are we gonna get out of Anthony Richardson next year? It might be really good. It might, might, might also be Trey Lance 2.0. We just don't know yet. It's, no, it's the biggest well, question mark in the sport right now. Anthony Richardson played games. He looked Trey pretty Lance good in some game. of them, but he also couldn't stay on the field. He got hurt in every game he played. So uh, the, the the two the two thing for me is like I don't know what you give him. I, like Daniel Jones feels like a crazy contract, but two is also like top two in EPA per play in the last two seasons. Uh, like he's so genuinely good at the top. I I'd, I'd straight up just. Like, I don't know if they're in the Milrow camp. I don't know if they're in, like, the Joe Milton camp. I don't know if they're in the room for uh, even uh, Jordan Travis. Like, just take, like, just find a guy, take him, sit him down, and be like, hey, you're, you're sitting. You're sitting for a year. You might sit for two years, but you're next up and you're going to learn this. Because, McDaniel runs a complicated offense with a lot of wrinkles. And Tyreek's not getting younger. Like, he said the second this Dolphin deal is up, he's retiring. Like, he's retiring on top. Not not wrong. Speed receivers don't exactly age gracefully. But McDaniel's going to be here for a while. Right, you've got to figure out some way to maximize this window. You've got to figure out some way to make this offense the most potent one in the NFL, the league-defining offense, work. Because the fact that I know one of those games is started by Skylar Thompson, but the fact that you are zero and two in the playoffs and losing both games in pretty damning fashion. Uh, should say something about you. Like, like it's a bit of an indictment to be this good in the regular season. It's the it's the same thing with the Cowboys. It's crazy to be this good in the regular season and this bad 
against like the second you get to the postseason against yeah. good teams. No, there is more organizational symmetry there than I maybe would have said at the beginning of this discussion, but there's, there's definitely that symmetry. And I think the other, the other piece of it is just like, I, you, you get a pass for last season for sure. But what about this season? You know, like they were, they were the one seed for a while and they lost the division at the end and they lost, you know, they got smoked by Baltimore and then they lost a, you know, home game against the bills where like that should be, you know, the season defining moment and they just kind of didn't show up in the second half and McDaniel refused to run the ball when it was working. So like, I don't even like, I, I want to say it's the game plan of this game. Like, or, or sorry, I want to give them a pass because it was this game and how uniquely bad the field situation was to just break this offense. Yeah. But like you just said, it was in their hands. Yeah. I'm giving them a the pass for this game, but not for the month yeah. before this game. But you drop like this team. I this team lost to the Titans. Sure did. Like this team. Let's not forget that. That was literally the only time in my adult life that I've ever turned off a game and come back to find out that like the unthinkable happened in the team that I was sure was winning lost. That was that was the first time that's happened to me. As that you crazy. know, uh, and that's the difference. That's the difference between hosting this game in Miami. Where you would have played the Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> like you would have smoked the Steelers. Yeah. Imagine, imagine you had to play the Steelers and then you're sending Buffalo to Arrowhead to play in that. Like yeah. it's different offenses and it's more vertical. So you might be able to get like a little bit more done. Like maybe still have a Khalil Shakir moment. Maybe James Cook does a little bit better than Raheem Mostert. But like, it's an objectively better situation. And you get to play a, a slightly more beat-up Kansas City Chiefs team this round. And you get a little bit more advantage. You get Again, a field advantage. Yeah. yeah. They should have had two home games. They got zero. And they had to go to, like, whatever the opposite of home field advantage is, like the polar opposite, emphasis on, like, polar in the Arctic sense. Like, this was... Un- unbelievable the difference between playing two games in Miami and having to go to Arrowhead in the coldest game of you know our lifetimes. It's so yeah. ridiculous. Anyway, they got a lot to worry about. Yeah, I think about Chiefs because we just shit on Miami for twenty minutes. I my, my I think my only Chiefs thing was like, wow, Rashi Rice is awesome. Does that like fix all the things we've been worried about for them for the rest of the season? No, but. He's awesome, and I think they still have, you know, a very solid chance of, you know, continuing the cycle against Buffalo. I think I found it interesting. I I know it's weather, and I know at some point it got down to stalling. I found it very interesting that Isaiah Pacheco set a career high in in rushes. Like, the fact that this is the most reliant they've ever been on – on, on just a running back is, is very impressive. And, and Pacheco's good. He but, is. like, the fact that they were willing to just go straight up bell cow and just be like, you are carrying this ball for a career-high 24 times. He had He's had more than 20 carries twice in his career once this year. He hasn't had, he hasn't had 20 carries since the Chiefs played the Jets and had to run the clock out. 
It's crazy but, that they even ran 75 plays on offense in this game because Mahomes also threw 41 times. Like you would have thought they had more than 26 points. It's crazy they threw 41 times in this. Yeah. No, it's pretty I guess I guess a lot of those were throwaways. Yeah, those, no, that <laughs> a lot of throwaways. Just a, a sloppy football game with like one real big standout performer in Rice, who I think if if we're talking about a Chiefs win over the Bills, it's gonna be a very similar Rice stat line because he is like he's the offense right now. He's the key to everything. Obviously, Pacheco can be good. Obviously, Mahomes is the engine that makes it tick. Obviously, Kelsey's a future Hall of Famer, but Rasheed Rice is probably the most important skill player left in these playoffs to me right now, or at I least think- like the most the most X factor skill position player. It's gonna be weird. Uh, I th- I think I'm gonna. I'm very curious to go back and look at uh, Chiefs Bills from this year and see who was on Rishi Rice because I don't know who. Like Rishi Rice obviously didn't have the assignment or, or the the name value of uh, you know. Of Rishi Rice, and, and like he didn't have that pedigree and like responsibility on this roster yet. He hadn't earned twelve catches a game. Yeah, and at I, the time, you're still thinking like the only way they win is if Kelsey goes nuts against us. But I'm just really curious to see like who had that assignment against the Bills last time. Who who is taking this on? Because we just talked about how many corners are injured for the Bills right now, and even like. Like getting Razul Douglas is a big depth piece, but like, you know, even having him back in the fold, if he's able to play, like, huge, but like, I don't know if you're throwing him on Rishi Rice. I don't know if you're giving him wide receiver one assignment. I don't know who's Kair Elam. Like, is well, this Kair like, Elam was getting picked on in that Steelers game and yeah. then all of a sudden comes up with the end zone pick. And I don't think Mahomes is throwing that same ball that Rudolph did. So I'm very curious to see. Yeah. Whether it's, I, I mean, I don't think he's he's definitely not. That's the first. Line. That's the first time that Patrick Mahomes and Mason Rudolph have been named in the same. <laughs> well, I just I, the uh, like. There's no way they're putting him on an island with Rasheed Rice in this game. Like that's not a thing you can do. But is he even drawing any coverage of him? Is he like you know getting bracket help or is he guarding MVS and just like saying you get no help on MVS? So that's. That's all a piece of the puzzle. Like, you were looking shaky. What's that? Did Hyde get banged up in the Steelers game too? I don't think he got banged up. In he has been banged up and practiced in a limited capacity today. I believe I saw in that same injury report, and I think it's still the neck injury. And apparently, Josh Allen also has a neck injury that he's like limited practicing with right now. So, Bills are just a, you know, neck injury from carrying this team. Yeah, <laughs> I I was about to not even like make a joke, but just like, you know, their ambulance, you know what it looks like. And, you know, they've, they've just been having to keep that thing nearby for far too often this season. So hopefully that injury streak does not continue for the Bills because it's been really rough. Uh, and I think that's that's the game everyone's most excited about. And I don't want to see it marred by injury. Uh, uh, you're not you are not excited for Packers. Niners just out of morbid curiosity. I'm excited for all of them. I am. <laughs> I'm really excited for all of them. It's gonna I, be a good weekend. Let's get excited about the last game of the weekend. Uh 
by doing so, let's talk about the Houston Texans. Uh, Fully forgot think, about that game. Fully forgot. Right, about right. And about I was it. the way I was about to say it was: I think the Browns are like kind of the the winners of the losers because everyone has just forgotten about how much of a dud the Cleveland Browns were in this game and just didn't show up and had a chance like were down first by three and then down by 10 and then just completely fell apart. Uh, and I know that like, you know, the Joe Flacco clock strikes midnight thing had to happen at some point, but I think they're big winners in, you know, the super wild card weekend format and the bills game getting kicked to Monday. Cause everyone just forgot how terrible they were in that game and how they had legitimate high hopes of going to maybe a conference championship or more. Uh, and instead were, waxed from the start by you know a team that people were taking fairly lightly even with their star rookie quarterback i don't know someone had phrased this as like the browns were a like we do what we do defense and you've got to play against us and they just never adjusted to how good houston was or how well houston could attack the three high uh constant shift uh you know get pressure with four defense i i'm so impressive throughout i know he didn't get a good pff grade because he made some risky throws and sorry man it's not (laughs) good he didn't get a good pff grade i know like no that was just like a big talking point i like i recognize the value of pff grades also 70 something is still good it's good especially in a small sample size like the difference between 78 and 85 is one throw also it was like 78 it was like practically 80 yeah people were just comparing it to jordan love who got like a 94 pff grade uh and they had the same same exact box score stats yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash a, a weird thing, but the like made some he made a, a, a couple risky throws he got away with. Uh they they really love to pump those turnover worthy plays in there, even if they don't result in turnovers. Uh but this is just a damn good team. This is just a really damn good team. What Tobika Rhines has been able to do with this defense. Corey's been able to build. I get like Flacco kind of crumbled, and I get, you know, when Flacco throws deep balls, they are literally either touchdowns or pick sixes and no in between. Uh, but like just, just pure reclamation. Like it's similar to Detroit, where like, the guy in the building who isn't the chaplain who used to work for the Patriots, whose name I'm forgetting, and maybe you can hey, it for me. Jack Easter. No, not not the actual chaplain, the guy, Nick Casario. Uh, Nick Casario, as GM, has done a fantastic job building this team out and not doing, me. like, really, like, with nothing. Like, we t- like Will Anderson, very good player. We're, we're suckers for Jalen Petre. Where Derek Stingley stands here. But like Desmond King, Blake Cashman, like uh like we've got guys on like we've got guys on this team that I have never heard of. Uh, like, you know, his team is down Jonathan Grenard. And the fact that Jonathan Grenard was one of the best edge rushers on this team is a problem. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a problem that we're talking about the loss of Jonathan Grenard being like, oh no. Uh, but like, it, it's a pretty empty corn. It's a like a pretty limited secondary. It's a you know one of those defenses with not a ton of name recognition, and they crushed. Uh, they completely ate up a, a Browns rushing attack that just couldn't do anything against this front seven. Uh, you know, shut down Amari Cooper, which tough to do. Amari Cooper has been elite all year, and the fact that you hold him to 459, the fact that he only got five targets is something else. Uh, just a Just a fantastic job. This isn't even talking about a crazy Stroud performance, a, a, a real, like, hard-nosed Devin Singletary run game, uh, you know, even if Bobby Slowick hasn't really been able. Bobby Slowick's been awesome this year and has produced, like, when you're getting Brevin Jordan, I, I guess it's a breakout run, but when you're getting Brevin Jordan 76-yard touchdowns, yeah, uh, just one absolutely naked. Uh, I, I actually was – no, Schultz was the naked one. Schultz was, the, Schultz was the guy who looks like he was fielding a punt. He was sorry. correct. Uh, and Jordan was the one where it was like, oh, he's really just going to keep going. Oh, nobody's going to stop him. Oh, yeah. okay, fine. Well, but like when you're scheming Dalton Schultz that open, you're doing a very good job. Slowick hasn't been able to really figure out the run half of the equation. Yeah. Uh, but like what he's been able to do with guys like Nico Collins, you know, one-year deals on Dalton Schultz, John Necci, uh, Xavier Hutchinson, like, you know. The fact that Robert Woods, who was supposed to be a wide receiver too, is such a bust, uh, and you've now had to completely move off of him uh, to the point where you're taking Demir Bird practice squad flyers. Well, and uh, you like, lost Tank Dell, which will I know you. I know you lost Tank Dell. Yeah, you did lose Tank Dell. But I'm just saying, like, the fact that this group is just – is Nico Collins and names is yeah. and you're and you're putting 45 on the board is nuts. Yeah, the two pick six has helped, and I will get my defensive game ball. DJ three touchdowns is crazy. That's yeah. I, I I will get my defensive game ball briefly out of the way. Steven Nelson, because uh, I think that was like the biggest momentum play of the entire first round, and it will be somewhat forgotten. Uh, but. 82-yard return, completely changed the outlook of the game. Christian Harris then gets one on the next drive, and it's just a full-on party. That was a really fun-looking environment. I know that, like, Houston is not, you know, by any means a a vaunted fan base, and, you know, they'll they'll be doomed to that Saturday early window anytime they host a playoff game, but that looks like a fun place to be on Saturday. Uh, and then the other thing I would say about it is uh, on the flip side of all this, Beware putting too much confidence in the Texans uh, going into round two. Uh, that's I will I will fully admit that's like a 2009 uh, Bill Simmons Grantland take that I'm like fully stealing here, uh, where it's like the rules of playoff, not just playoff gambling, but like you know just predicting the playoffs. Beware of like the team that looked really good in the first round, especially against Joe Flacco. So. With all this positivity about the Texans being said, I, I do feel quite confident that the run ends here. Mark Andrews might play. <laughs> like, Mark Andrews is a full participant in practice today. Yeah. Like what? He's day to day. Absurd. The thing that I've got with that is, 
Nothing changed about the defense. Like, CJ Shad was able to eat on a defense that at one point was playing at historic pace. Uh, is Ended up finishing second best in the league, but you completely annihilated a, a really good Cleveland Browns defense and, you know, were able to render Miles Garrett a bit of a no-show and, you know, able to handle it, uh, you know, guys like JOK and Greg Newsom and, and mm-hmm. uh, elite, elite pass rush, keeping Stroud completely clean. We're completely able to nullify an elite Browns defense. And now you're going against an even better Ravens defense. Right. So nice fact, draw. Yeah. The fact that you will likely have, if you win this game, like, like for CJ Stroud to win a Super Bowl, it would likely be the most – I'd say difficult playoff run, not just being a, a, a like a walk-in four seed, but just playing the number two defense by DVOA, the number one defense by DVOA, uh, one more top ten defense by DVOA in either the Chiefs and uh, Chiefs or Bills, and then I think the three DVOA team in <laughs> what would be odds on the Niners. Yeah. Uh, and even if it's not the Niners, the Lions are really high up there. And the uh, like the only way you don't is if the Packers make it. <laughs> like you're playing a very good defense pretty much no matter what. And, and, and it would be the – yeah, so it would be two, then one, then either seven or 12. Bills are 12. Soft. Easy, uh, but they're nine in pass, so it's an, it's another top ten pass defense. And then let's just pretend the Niners make it. Then you're playing one, two, four, and twelve or seven. That's a crazy run. It would uh, be crazy. I just I kind of want to jump into next round, and we got to get through a little more. Uh, you know, you want to just share, you want to just like rapid fire. We've we've talked about every aspect of every one of these games. We just like one sentence game balls, rapid fire, fastest we've ever done game balls. Yeah, well, we did offense already. Stroud and Love. Uh, we did. Oh, I didn't say Stroud got a game ball, but Stroud got a game ball. Yeah, we did my defense. Your defense is Darnell Savage, the other big important pick six of the week in Green Bay. The thing that absolutely broke the Cowboys. Uh, deserves recognition. Agreed. Uh, special teams. Mine's Michael Badgley. Uh, mostly just for one kick, but it was a really big kick. It ended up being the winning scoring margin, and he was 6 for 14 in his career on kicks of 50-plus yards. Absolutely nailed a 54-yarder in this game. NFL average is like 55%, so 6 for 14 was way below that, and he wasn't on the team until December. So, Michael Badgley stepping up in the big moments. The Lions have had kicker problems for a while. Maybe this guy can go on a nice little playoff run and make you forget about him. Yeah, that would be sick. That would be sick to just not ever have to worry about kicker again. Uh, And the fact that you were able to win on that, uh, good on you. Uh, Mind game ball in doing your job. Chase McLaughlin. Three for three field goals, longest to 54. Three for three extra point. That's 12 points. That's more than the Eagles score. We did it. Tampa Bay, you kicker. Tampa Bay. Uh, Fire the cannons. Why are Aaron Judge and Anthony Volpe in the, in a box at the Bucks game? I don't get that. Whatever. Uh, uh, water under the bridge. G- Jeter Tampa. Jeter Tampa. What does Jeter have to do with Tampa? 
Uh, one, didn't he have Ray's stakes? And two... No, he was the uh, GM of the Marlins. Marlins. Uh, he let he let Brady have his house at one point. True. Tampa. I think that's... Yeah, okay. Fair enough. The Yankees used to have spring training down in Tampa, so I guess there's the Jeter connection. But I don't think Judge has anything to do with Jeter necessarily, apart from just their well, just like Yankees. captains. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Yankee spring training is in the Tampa area, so... Dude, that's yeah, that's close. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's not for a month, but fair enough. Now, uh, uniforms from this week. I got a pretty easy one because I've seen it so many times throughout my life and it never fails and it conjures up many awesome postseason memories for me. Des, Des caught it, Kale? Cowboys Packers. Uh, yeah, most like iconic of the weekend for sure. Uh, the I love like, that it's always the same, the no matter if it's in Green Bay or Dallas. I love that when those two teams play each other, it's the same uniform matchup. Yeah, that that feels good. Uh, mine, uh, Detroit Rams. Just a lot of just a lot of blue. Just a lot of blue. Uh, strong uniforms both sides, but a lot of blue and a little yellow, and it just worked real well together. I liked that game. I I think that Rams uniform is my favorite Rams uniform. White jersey, yellow pants. Uh, they don't look as busy to me anymore as they used to. I guess my eyes have just adjusted to it, and they don't wear bone as much, which I know. I know we've talked about oh, bone plenty on this show before, but I I tend to prefer when they're not going heavy on bone. Uh, and yeah, the white white yellow blue helmet. Uh, Shout out NFL uniforms on Twitter. He would call that the uh, the triple mismatch club. Uh, different color helmet, jersey, and pants. Uh, all all very satisfying to me. So down for that one as uh, a second best. Other other decent options, but I'm good with that. Uh, moving right along, I think. I think we can just go head scratch and we'll stay on that game. You may go first. Uh, yeah, it's kind of just just uh, Sean McVay. Uh, he's got one weakness, and it's just it's just timeout management. It's just purely clock management. I don't know if that's what "hoisted by your own petard" means, but I will say he was hoisted by his own petard. Uh, <laughs> you can say it, absolutely. <laughs> okay, it is. What it means. <laughs> it's kind of what it means. The phrase meaning is that a bomb maker is blown off the ground by his own bomb, hoisted by his own petard. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sean McVay, I, I, this is another like, I promise I watched more than one game this week because I literally did. We spent two hours talking about him. Uh, Sean McVay, the end of half sequence, you've got the ball with you know a minute left and you're not gunning it. You're not like ripping and raring to go for it. Down 17-21 when you've scored on three straight drives and you've got what I believe is three timeouts in your pocket and you're not trying something just to get into – I know you got a bad kick, but just to get into range or something, make something work, that's bad. And then we get to the end of the game and McVeigh has done the exact opposite thing where he has burned through two timeouts with 13 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And you've got, I, I was saying this to Jackson, 
McVay's offense, you need you need time on the clock. Uh, it is a really motion heavy offense. It is a really uh, like you know with all the additional bells and whistles of the McVay offense that make it so potent because it it scares defenses and makes you have to adjust and keeps you on your toes and it's a good system to you know run some trickeration with. It also eats up all forty seconds of the play clock. So the fact that after the field goal drive to put it within one, and then you get a Lions three and out, you now have the ball with seven minutes and 18 seconds left to do something. And you run six plays. And you burn like a a full three minutes off the clock. And the fact that like – we can talk about the extra decision that Jackson wants to talk about about the punt on fourth and 14 from the 44. It's a sick, it's a 61 yard field goal. If you try it and you've got a bad kicker and I don't like the kicker that like, I don't, or sorry, I don't trust a kicker in that situation, but you burn three, three minutes off the clock running six plays and you don't at least try and hold it. Cause you know, you can't stop Detroit on the other side of that. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, I guess they got tricked into thinking that they could slash were stopping Detroit. Um, but I just think Detroit went into that final drive with a much different, more narrow focus than the previous couple, and they were starting to generate pass rush and whatever. But, like, the one David Montgomery run on first down, and all of a sudden it's just borderline over at that point. And then, of course, uh, Campbell goes for the kill on uh, second and nine with the pass to St. Brown. But it's like, you know, a- as you kind of state – they worked it down to a point that was so late in the clock that like they didn't really have a you know great chance of getting the ball back. Uh, and if they did, there wasn't be much time anyway. So to me, it was like, why not try just another throw down field to Puka on fourth and 14? Like it's not really a different scenario if they don't get it. Like they're just a little further up the field, but like, who cares? Who cares if Detroit even goes and, you know, kicks a field goal? Like, yeah, it hurts to have to go get a touchdown instead. But, like, the whole, like, they just didn't try. And then they never got another chance. So they, you know, leaving that one play when, you know, that one play may well have resulted in a first down and all of a sudden you win the game. Like, that that was worth at least trying for me. That was, I was disappointed. Not that I think that it was, like, inexcusable, but, like, I would have tried it there. Give it a shot, but like, I don't know. What are you like, so worried I think about? You're just no? so potent. I think you're so potent on offense. I would have rather tried to go for the fourth and fourteen than the just kick a six. Like just kick. I never said. I said go for fourth and fourteen. I wouldn't have tried the sixty plus yard field goal. Yeah, but like, yeah, put yourself in a position to at least try and make something. Yeah, I just don't get what they were so afraid of in that situation. Like, why? going forward on fourth down and not getting it would have been, you know, the end of times. Cause it wouldn't have been, it would have been the exact same as punting it just different part of the field, but you're still trying to prevent them from getting two first downs. That's it. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Anyway, that's your head scratcher. Mine is what the heck are the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point? It's, it's less of like a singular moment from this game where the Steelers like won or lost and more 
like, I think this postseason berth meant exactly nothing. I think that the Steelers are no better for it than if they had gone seven and ten this year instead of ten and seven. They do not have a quarterback. They have this feigned sense of superiority for the winning season streak, but they haven't won a playoff game since 2016. Uh, the Chargers have won a playoff game since then. Uh, the Seahawks, like a bunch of teams that you know we haven't thought of as good in that time frame that have won a playoff game more recently than Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. You have George Pickens at the podium after the game, like saying you can't beat the refs and the Bills in Buffalo. My dude, you fumbled the ball on your own 30-yard line and the Bills hit a 30-yard touchdown the next play. So, like, if there's anyone, you know, how about a little bit of looking in the mirror for this one? Uh, and then, you know, Mike Tomlin, you can talk about all that, pulling the, uh, all right, we're not talking. I'm going to leave now. One question into the post game, like, not talking about my contract, not talking about my future. Uh, whatever, that's fine. I I get that. But at the same time, you know, maybe doesn't bode super well. Uh, but for me, it's the whole thing is like, what the heck is the vision? Uh, cause you took a quarterback in the first round two years ago and that guy simply would not have taken them as far this season as their third stringer who right about now damn near was like campaigning for Vivek Rama, whatever his name is on the campaign trail. Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Yeah. Uh, that, that was almost Mason Rudolph's future still could be still could be what he does. So, uh, what are what are we doing here? What's what's the vision for the Pittsburgh Steelers long term? I have no clue. I I, I was dealing I was dealing with my laptop uh, malfunctioning for a bit, and I could still hear you. I don't know where the Vivek thing came from. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch on it. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it lie. Uh, what I think the Steelers are are a quarterback away. Uh, like I know there's some weird animosity there. This is a defense that was. That was pretty solid for most of the year. This was a, a a team that fired their offensive coordinator and got better offensively. Uh, this is a team that, like, at its core has an offense that can be managed by Mason Rudolph uh, and, and was unable to function with uh, Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky at the helm. Uh this is a team that's still coached by Mike Tomlin, who has never had a losing season and will be coached by Mike Tomlin in 2024, according to Mike Tomlin. Uh, so what I see is just a really strong young core that's going to probably hit on a crazy extra receiving talent this year uh, late in the draft because this draft is so deep with receiving talent and this team is so good at developing receivers late and like you know their their fifth round receiver this year might as well be like a first in any other draft uh but like the the problem with this team is will be quarterback driven until it's not because the defense is solid albeit aging losing tj watt for this game obviously hurts uh you gotta remember he's coming back and then beyond that, like, defense is old, but, like, it's still good. You get some, you know, extra replacement parts there. It doesn't seem like a ton of – a ton of teams are, you know, defense needy in this draft, especially high up, so the Steelers can kind of manage to, like, probably get a pretty good talent there to 
you know, make some additional adjustments, and then you're really just a quarterback away. Like yeah. that's all this team is. And they and like the fact that they've been able to manage in the like toughest conference in football is a positive note. Like I know there's a lot of like you know weird infighting. Tomlin's been able Tomlin had Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and Ben Roethlisberger on this team. Like this is nothing to him. It's bad. It's it's loud now because they're bad. But when you get a quarterback in the room, people are gonna shut up. People are gonna like like Pickens is mad because he can't get the ball because no one can get the ball to him because they have three quarterbacks that are, you know, thirty five through fifty in the league or something. Like, right. I don't know. I think they're fine long term. I'm interested. I mean, obviously, like being a quarterback away is like as bad as it can be in this sport. So. I don't fully know uh, what the fix is there, but at the same time, like I, I hear what you're saying. Like they do have more away, than I give like, them credit for. But it's just when, the you're vibe. A, when you're a quarterback away and you're, you know, the Jets, yeah, it sucks. When you're a quarterback away and still making the playoffs routinely, it doesn't hurt as much. Now like it's the, you're the you're the you know I'd say you're the Niners, not the Jets. Like you need a quarterback. Oof, I don't know about that. It, it's how many playoff the, games have the Niners won since 2016? Like no, five, you're six. you're like you're pre Garoppolo, not pre Garoppolo Niners, but like the years the Niners were banged up, where it's like Nick Mullins is managing pretty well to throw to Debo Samuel and George Kittle, and it is kind of cooking in that respect. But you're like you're still competent. You're still doing something. It's just like I, I think it's a little bit better than uh, you know being fully dire. Like if you if you it's it's the Jets where if you have league average quarterback play, you're a perennial playoff team. You just need a league average guy, and you've just had some real crap come through the door. I'll still say that's my Justin Fields team. That's the team that I'd be most interested to see him play for next year. Cause I think like, you're not going to go, you're not going to trade up in the draft. The only other candidates are like what other free agents, Kirk cousins. Like I, I would be most excited to see fields there next year. Cause I it think looks- that that's fun. And they know it's not fun. Why is that? No, not it's fun. fun. It's if Bill Belichick doesn't go to Los Angeles, he goes to Atlanta, brings Fields with him, and they make the coolest team ever. Is that is, That's fun. is that the coolest team ever? I'm struggling with that. Fields, Bijan, Pitts, and Drake London having having a top ten or, or a first round guy at every position is not cool as hell with a Belichick defense. I I see the vision. I just I I like the idea of. Fields on the Steelers, who are already a playoff team, as you say. That's I would prefer. Like, let's see Justin Fields try to make a deep postseason run. I'm not saying the Falcons can't, but like, it is the Falcons. Like, we're if we're talking about like teams who have had a rough last decade, because we're kind of talking about the Steelers in that way at this point. The Falcons have had a rough last decade. I think the Steelers won a championship in the last decade, haven't they? No, the last one was that eleven? Oh, oh, eight was their last championship. The, they went they went in 2010 and lost and their last win was 08. 
Roethlisberger. What was Roethlisberger's other ring? Was that 03? 05. 05. Seahawks. Uh, yes. Oh, no. 03 was Pats. I was trying to think of the one gap year, but that was uh, Bucks Raiders. Correct. Uh, you're right. Uh, yeah. The Yeah, let's get someone on the Steelers. Put Baker on the Steelers. Let's really cook. It's we are at the wall. <laughs> we are basically at the two-hour mark. Uh, rather than cheap seats, calling an audible this week. Let's just do picks against the spread. I know we're not a gambling podcast, but like we'll use it as a thirty-second way to talk about how we think these games are going to go. Houston plus nine at Baltimore. Which side of that line would you lean towards? Uh, it's a lot of points, and I would still lean Baltimore. But I think it's like Baltimore, like. I'm saying that because I just think Baltimore wins by ten. Like I think it's I think it's very handy. And then, like the Cowboys game, like the Packers, uh, Packers, the Texans put on points late uh, and make it semi interesting. And then Baltimore is just like, nope, you're you're not making this fun. We're winning by two scores, uh, and that is the conclusion of that game. So I'm taking Baltimore, and I'm taking them with a lot. Here's the thing. So there's both of these one seed games are nine point spreads. And I feel like they're destined to be one game where the, you know, the favorite covers and one game where the underdog covers and everything in my heart is telling me that this is the game where the underdog colors covers and the Niners, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a Bay area boy. My heart's telling me the Niners are the ones that are going to blow it out. So I'm going to go completely against my heart. And I'm going to say that the Ravens cover and transitioning to the next game, I will say that somehow the Packers cover and somehow that game is closer than everything in my being is telling me that that game should be close because somehow it just will be. It's the opposite. Where I was going to say uh, I wanted to say uh, Packers cover for uh, like, you know, just faith in Jordan Love and them being good. And then I realized, oh, yeah, the Packers defense is bad. They're not paying – against generational trauma and the San Francisco 49ers are good off the bye. Uh, so it's San Francisco by like 19. Uh, like we'll take the plus nine uh, or minus nine, but it's uh, I think they like roll, roll them. All right. Interesting. So he likes both of the big spreads to hit. I like just one and one uh, just from a vibes perspective. Now that leads us to Tampa six and a half point underdogs at Detroit. Where would you lean there? I just want to know when when or if we get a bad Baker game, how that shakes out, uh, and what Detroit looks like when they've got a 32-year-old monkey off their back. Like, will that be totally liberating? Or is it like, got it? Foot off gas. I don't think Campbell's the guy that's going to take foot off gas. No, especially not in that building. That's the difference maker to me. Six and a half feels like a lot, though. I want to look at, like, I, you You give me yours because I'm very curious, but I want to look at Buck's scores. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm I leaning to the Lions just based on, like, the, the charge in that building. I just think the Rams were better than the Bucks, and I think that – that was always going to be the tougher matchup. Like you can, you can do stuff to disrupt Baker. I know he's been really, you know, above, above what we, you know, thought he was still capable of doing, but he's not Stafford right now. And as good as like Evans and Godwin are, I'd still take 
Nakua and Cup probably over them at this juncture. So just in, in terms of like a one-to-one comparison for opponents, I feel like this is an easier game for the Lions, and I just don't think they'll be that let down because even though the monkey's off the back, like now Detroit's getting greedy, and that crowd is going to be fierce, and they're still going to be like, I mean, when's the last time they were in a conference championship game? Like, there's still plenty of tortured history for them to fall back on and get emotional about when they win. So never won the Super Bowl. Uh, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll also take. God, I don't like picking. I've picked spreads of nine, nine, six and a half. Sure have. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know. This is this is annoying because it's. Uh, they got smoked by Detroit twenty to six in Week Six after their bye, and and they most recently before that Eagles game beat the Panthers nine nothing. So like this isn't a good team. Nope. Grand scheme. Let's take Detroit in points. Why does this? Like I was so excited for this week, and now it's just like yeah, blow out. Give me, give me all the points. Yeah, exactly. Uh Finally, Kansas City, Buffalo. Any recent history there we should be aware of? Eh, maybe. Uh, Kansas City plus three in Buffalo. Uh, Kansas City plus three. Me too. Just gonna make it crazy. Me too. There's no way this game isn't like a two to one point win. I, unless like. Could be overtime again. Reverse 13 seconds game. I wasn't even going to say overtime. I was just like, this is just going to be. Like, with Sky Moore and Tony coming back, what if this is the week that Kansas City just breaks? Like, what if they just, like, had a good game plan? Like, Buffalo's hot now. People are downing Buffalo. This is, like, this is straight up a a pick game decided by, like, directed by home field advantage. Uh, I don't know how Mahomes is going to fare on the road in the playoffs. It's not like he's not really good on the road otherwise. Like, He's fine. Like he's Patrick Mahomes, uh, and the Buffalo Bills are have a certain history with not being able to win games against Patrick Mahomes. But I don't know. Where like are you? Are you just straight up falling on a? He's some. <laughs> I just I for the hell of it wanted to look up uh, home road splits for Patrick Mahomes. He is like markedly better on the road has had two more road games in his career, two extra wins, nearly the same record, uh, an extra 4% completion percentage, an extra 19 touchdowns, only three more interceptions. Uh, so a better, a better touchdown percentage, a better interception percentage, uh, like a six point higher QB rate uh, or passer rating, eight fewer sacks, Weird. Eight fewer sacks, but somehow more yards. Uh, averaging more yards per attempt. Uh, uh, higher adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, like, way better rusher. He's kind of insane on the road. So, whatever. She's supposed to three. Yeah, just because we haven't seen it yet doesn't mean he can't do it. Uh, so, that's why I will continue to ride with Mahomes in this matchup until it doesn't happen. And I know full well that this could be the year it doesn't happen. That's why we play the games. Kale, I cannot wait for divisional round. Clearly, we can't wait because we just talked for two hours and six minutes about this entire postseason thing, but there's a lot more football. I have one more more game. 
Uh, guess team. which of these pro football reference nicknames is not Patrick Mahomes' nickname listed on pro football reference. Uh, Grim Reaper, Showtime, Magic Man, The Musician, The Gunslinger, Fat Trick, or Mahomeboy? <laughs> I believe it's The Musician because I've seen that page before and all of those sounded familiar but The Musician. They're all there. They're all. Oh, they're there. all there. Okay, good. <laughs> there was. But no I knew. I Patrick is. Patrick is crazy. Fat. I did that. I thought you were just gonna say Patrick. No, I knew that was there. And like Showtime isn't him. Gunslinger. There's like five other historic quarterbacks that have been referred to as like a gunslinger or the well, gunslinger. Like, gunslinger is just like a general term. Yeah, it's outrageous. But yeah, I mean that whole. All hilarious, my homeboy. It's all homeboys. Great music. The fat musician is the most ridiculous one. I will say that. Thanks for pointing that out because I I thought it was the one that you had made up, and now that I know it's there, it's gonna infuriate me. So I'll stew on that until next podcast. <laughs> okay. Who who was who was trying to coin a nickname mid broadcast from Mahomes? Collinsworth. Someone no, because Collinsworth didn't call that game. Jerico called two games on back-to-back nights. That was kind of crazy. It's true. I, I thought you meant just in general. Uh, Jason Garrett had that game, by the way, the one that you're talking about. Someone was like, it was it was not like, it was not like Miracle Mahomes, but it was like something along those lines. I think you're, I think you're thinking of Jason Garrett. So congrats to him for uh, all his cultural relevance this week. Really impressive. Italy! He had a week. Let's have a week, Cam. Let's have ourselves a week. Divisional round coming up. Can't wait for it. For now, we'll say goodbye. For Kale, I am Jackson, and we will see you next Tuesday.